Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Saddle Hunters, our brothers over at Tethered, continue to kill the game by releasing innovative products. They just recently put out the Eberhardt Series Saddle. They also put out the Menace Saddle, which is for our, our Husky brothers and sisters that are into saddle hunting that does but that saddle will do just maybe a little bit better job of cupping your quote-unquote assets. But the thing that I'm most excited about is their recent release of the Tethered One Climbing Stick. Um, this thing is crazy light, crazy strong, and crazy quiet. I'm just going to cut to the chase here and give you some specs. Each stick weighs in at less than one pound. That includes your Dynalite rope attachment. Uh, a three-pack of these will weigh in at 2.7 pounds, which is ridiculously light. It's a 17-inch step-to-step uh, single stick uh, single stick height, and there's an 8.5-inch uh, step footbed, which gives you plenty of room for, for those of us folks with, with, with bigger feet. It's all made with aerospace-grade titanium and aluminum for construction. So if you'd like to learn more about Tether's innovative products, head over to tetherednation.com and check them out. The first thing I do in the morning before a hunt, before a scout, or just before getting ready for work is have my morning coffee, and I'm sure most of you out there listening are the same. Make sure you're filling your mug with Skull Brew Coffee, as it is the only coffee company that is both 2% for conservation certified and donates 10% of its profits to conservation organizations to help secure the future of our wild places. So head to SkullBrewCoffee.com and choose between three killer roasts of coffee and know that you are supporting conservation with every sip. Welcome to the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 198. Today I'm joined by Steve Shirk as we are cranking up another DIY report miniseries. This one all about hunting mature mountain bucks. So stay tuned. all right all right what is up everyone happy wednesday to you hope you're doing well hope you are feeling fine hope you're if you just opened because pennsylvania statewide open or just opened this past weekend i hope you guys had some had some success or at least at a minimum uh had an opportunity to get out and enjoy some of the nice weather man we've been having i can't remember i guess it's probably been a couple years since we actually had a nice good solid kind of cooler coldish kind of opening weekend if i'm not if i'm remembering correctly i think it was, i want to say it was like three years ago we had a great opener um for the for the weather as far as the weather was concerned i had a chance to get out this weekend um and hunt in a, a particular spot i was just kind of waiting until the the temperatures kind of got right and of course the the wind was right to slip into this one area that i hadn't been into since the summer um i checked cameras in there i want to say man it, it might have been late june early july i think um and there was one deer in there particularly that, that looked like he was, uh, you know, had, had potential. It was so early that I couldn't really tell. It just, it was one that you definitely want to, want to watch. And he's on camera in there. Um, this was an area in, in close to one area was a primary scrape that I found that's getting a lot of activity still when I checked the camera. And then another area was a bedding area and I slipped into the corner of this, this bedding area. didn't see anything on this particular hunt, but the trail camera data that I got, the, the card pool that I did was, um, was promising, uh, that deer is, is, is in there and, um, and he's a good deer, um, uh, put it this way. It, I'd be hard pressed not to shoot him. Um, you know, even, even hunting some other Midwestern States, um, he, he's that nice of a deer. So hopefully I'll be able to catch back up with him at, at some point. I actually went in, you know, PA, you can't hunt on Sundays, except a handful of Sundays have allowed us to hunt this year, I think as a trial run. Um, so yesterday, you know, I'm recording this on Monday, actually today. Um, I actually went in and, and 
did a kind of a camera purge because there was a bunch of cameras I hadn't checked yet. So I went and checked those and I did a little bit of scouting in a few areas uh, to try to put some puzzle pieces together and, and begin to, to make a game plan here for October. Cause for me, you know, October is really all I have in Pennsylvania for the most part um, because I travel, you know, at the end of October into, into November. And so I usually only have a handful of weeks in, in October to try to get things done here in Pennsylvania. So with that, we're going to just kind of jump into today's podcast uh, and have the have a short upfront here. I do want to make mention, though, before I before I kind of tee up this podcast, um, Skull Brew Coffee Company is still running the the special um, a deal on coffee for the opener. Use the promo code Opener twenty to get yourself some kick ass coffee. Don't use don't don't drink shitty coffee during hunting season. It's just not it's just not worth it. It's not good. So head over to SkullBrewCoffee.com and use the promo code Opener twenty. And save yourself a little cash. So today on the podcast, I have a really cool show for you today. Um, Steve Shirk. I'm sure a lot of you out there have probably heard of Steve. Um, he's a gentleman who's from Pennsylvania. He does some guiding um, on some public lands in um, in in the in the western part of the state, uh, in and around the the Allegheny um, National Forest. Um, you know, I kind of mentioned in this podcast a little bit. You know, a lot of people will talk about you know PA they're not having great deer, and, and that's certainly the case in certain pockets. But I would say on, on the whole, the deer are getting better and better in Pennsylvania as far as I can remember from growing up. And if you know anything about Steve, if you ever followed him on Instagram or anything like that, the, the guy has deer on camera that um, you would be willing and proud to shoot in, in Iowa or any other mid, Midwestern state. He gets on absolute giants. And he's been doing it for years. Uh, and he's got a system as to, as to which, you know, how he kind of goes about doing it, you know, primarily hunting a lot of bedding. Um, and he's got kind of a specific way that he likes to do that. And so what I asked Steve to do when he and I got together, we, we knew we wanted to do a podcast together. And, you know, what I wanted to do was I didn't want to just talk about mountain bucks in general, because I think there's been, you know, some podcasts out there that kind of do that. Um, and I've, I've certainly done them on the, on this show, but what I wanted to do with Steve that I thought would be helpful, you know, when we're talking about big woods and, and mountainous kind of terrain is break it down by season. You know, what types of things is he focusing on or is he finding success with, you know, based on the time of year and how is the, how, how does he hunt the mountain, you know, or, or suggest to hit the people who come to him to be guided? How does he suggest they hunt the mountain during the different times of the year? As we all know, the deer woods changes, you know, basically from now through, you know, late season, um, or through the end of, you know, December ish, definitely through the end of, end of November, you know, almost on a day to day or every other day basis. And so, you know, in, in the places where you have such large tracts of land, like Steve hunts and that Steve guides on, um, you know, how do you kind of adapt for that? And how do you, you know, it's, it's, it's maybe a little easier if you're dealing with, you know, places that have a lot of structure and stuff like that to where you have really defined kind of movements, uh, lines of movement and travel. Um, and when you get into these kind of big wood settings in these mountain mountain settings, you know, you just don't have a lot of that. And so, you know, I wanted to understand how he kind of goes about that and how he's adapting over time as the season changes. And so that's really what we talk about. And this is a three part series with Steve where we're really going to talk about early season, you know, pre rut and rut and then and then some late season stuff. And in this this episode specifically, what we start to get into you know, is how he's hunting bedding during early season. This is the early season session, how he's hunting bedding during early season, you know, how much he's relying on cameras in these, in these places, um, what he's looking for, or how, how the wind plays during this time of year, how, how foliage is playing, uh, is playing a role, not just in bedding and as the foliage shifts, but also how that might, you know, help or determine, you know, go back to some of the stuff we talked, talked about with Dan, when you have a lot of foliage up, you know, what is that doing with the wind? Because that is ultimately a barrier. Um, and so forth. So we talk about all this stuff with Steve during this session. So with that, I'll go ahead and get jumped into the podcast. As always, I want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, we are back. You are listening to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I have on a, a fellow that I've wanted to have on for a while. Um, some of you may know him. He's he's made a few of the circuits on on some podcasts, especially with my buddies over at uh, over at Exodus. Um, this is a gentleman where if you've ever heard the claim that Pennsylvania doesn't have any big deer. Um, this gentleman might be able to uh, to throw that claim in the trash. I'm talking to none other than Mr. Steve Shirk. What's going on, Steve? Uh, not much. Just uh, preparing to talk deer hunting with someone I've been looking forward to for a long time now. Yeah, I know, man. It's it's been a long time coming. We ran into each other while we were at Harrisburg. Um, you know, I've been following along with what you've got going on out in, out in your neck of the woods because you're, um, you know, I know you're out in more of the western northern part of the uh 
of the state. And uh, I, I first learned of you from our, our mutual friends, you know, uh, Chad and Jake over at Exodus. And, okay. you know, it was, um, I don't know, probably like a year ago or a year or so ago, whenever you, whenever you did the first podcast you did with them. And, you know, I've run into a few big deer here and there in Pennsylvania that I've seen. You know, I grew up in, you know, central PA where, you know, and mm-hmm. you and I are probably relatively close to the same age. You know, I grew up in the, ni- in the 90s and there weren't a whole lot of big deer around, particularly where I was I was living. And then yep. once I was able to venture away from there, it's like I started, you know, seeing some bigger, bigger deer. And um, especially once I got into like more bed hunting and, you know, hunting some more challenging areas and stuff like that. I started finding, you know, more mature deer and stuff like that. But then I ran across you with those guys and I was just like, <laughs> holy smokes. I was like, man, it's like, I, I've never seen anything like that in Pennsylvania until this year. Actually, I glassed up a couple legit one. That's a legit big deer that would be big in any state um, that I found, but oh. you're just getting on them consistently and you're doing it in tough conditions in the mountains, in big woods, you know, that I've had, I've had some experience with those setups and stuff like that. And they're just some of the most challenging areas you can hunt and you do it with consistency, not only for yourself, but you're helping put other people on deer. So before we get started with all that, you know, cause I kind of, I said a lot about you without saying a whole lot about you. <laughs> if you wouldn't uh-huh. mind, give folks that are listening a little bit of background about, you know, who you are, where you're from and then what you do for a living and and then also in the whitetail space. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I grew up here in, uh, right outside of Bradford, Pennsylvania, in McKean County. I've lived here my whole life. Um, I, I, when I say I grew up in Bradford and, you know, McKean County area, I kind of lived more, like, on the outskirts of town, even though Bradford's not a big town. But I pretty much grew right in the middle of the Allegheny Mountains where if you don't deer hunt and fish and do those kind of things, like, you're never going to enjoy life. So I didn't have a choice to uh, really do anything but you know, hunt and fish, but early on, you know, um, deer hunting kind of took a big part into my life. And, uh, you know, as I got older, I got more and more into it. And out of high school, I, um, as much as I love deer hunting, I didn't start guiding then, but, um, I started my own landscaping business, which I've been doing pretty much since right out of high school. I'm 34 now. So that's like, you know, 13, 14 years. Then I got into guiding, um, over seven years ago now, I started guiding grouse. I didn't even ever plan to guide grouse. Kind of long story short is I, I wrote an article about grouse hunting because I used to do some writing for the local newspaper and uh, a magazine here in PA. But I, So I wrote an article about how good the grouse hunting, grouse hunting was around here. And uh, next thing you know, everyone was emailing me and calling me, wanting me to take them grouse hunting so i became a guide there but um uh it only took a couple couple years and i mean i enjoyed the guiding aspect of it but it was just grouse has never been anything i've been real passionate about so i was like you know what if i'm gonna guide i want to do something or guide something that i really enjoy so i got into the into the the deer guiding part and uh it's kind of been one of my uh i guess i would say one of my best moves I've ever made in life. I'm, I mean, it's just a side business, but it's really, it's really something when you can, you know, do something as part of your career that, you know, you you wake up in the morning and you're not dreading going to work. I'm just, I actually, it's the complete opposite. I'm just dying to get out there and, uh, it, you know, it gets me out more in the off season. And, uh, you know, so I guess that's pretty much where I'm at right now. Just, uh, you know, uh, landscaping you know spring summer i do snow plowing in the winter and then i fit the guiding in more in hunting season but you know i'm sure as you can see follow me on social media i uh i'm in the woods just about every day so <laughs> yeah yeah there's you're probably in the woods as much as anybody i anybody <laughs> i know if, if if not more but the interesting thing is though is like whenever people hear the term like you know you're guiding and stuff like that this isn't like a typical setup with like a you know, big track of like owned and managed property. Like you're doing this on what yep. the good Lord gave us essentially. Right. <laughs> like that's, you know, so talk a little bit about that. Cause this isn't like, I don't want people sure. to get the misunderstanding that this is some managed farm or something like that. This is a complete opposite of what that is. Yep. I mean, I live in a place that's just like, um, I'm just extremely blessed because there's public land everywhere. A lot of people that know me think that it's just Allegheny national forest, which I live pretty much right in the middle of it. Um, but then there's a ton of other public land up here that's owned by 
oil and timber companies. Um, there's just hundreds and hundreds of thousands of acres of public land. And uh, so um, I can actually say that I've never once in my life hunted private land. I've never, uh, you know, never scouted, never, never did anything but on public here. And it's in the, it's in, right in the Allegheny Mountain Range. It's all big woods. Um, I might make it look like there's a giant behind every tree, but <laughs> I can promise people that that's, that's not the way it is. Like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm all for people coming up here, um, you know, giving it a try and even doing it on your own. But in, you know, a big wood setting like this, you definitely got to know what you're doing and put your time in ahead of time or else it's going to be way more challenging than what it already is. Yeah, there's definitely a learning curve when it comes to that. And so the cool thing about what Steve and I are doing today is, you know, he's got this interesting perspective of hunting this public piece, guiding it, big woods, you know, big timber, you know, mountain mountain bucks, if you will. And, you know, in talking, he and I decided we should do a three-part series, you know, and kind of talk about how you hunt these, you know, this particular type of terrain and habitat during the different sections of the season. So what you're listening to right now is really part number one of this, where we're going to really talk about, you know, how Steve kind of gets into early season, how he hunts the early season, especially whenever it comes to big, big woods. Because I think a lot of folks that might be hunting smaller public parcels, or even if they're hunting, you know, mm-hmm. their family farms or whatever, you know, you're, you're playing a pretty obvious, a lot of times bed to food, bed to food pattern and stuff like that. And in the big woods, you know, you don't necessarily always get that, but before we get into those specifics, you know, let's start with the preseason, just a little bit of the off season. Like what does your prep look like in the off season, you know, through like, just sure. say up through like this time of year where we get into like late summer, you know, to get yourself sure. prepared for a year. Sure. Well, I'm sure you, you can obviously see that I run, you know, quite a few cameras. I ran like 30 to 40 cameras this summer kind of spread out through, you know, a lot of different areas. And I'm just like anyone else trying to get inventory. Um, Some bucks I knew survived the season, but, you know, I wanted to make sure they were still around, you know, this summer. And uh, also seeing, you know, some of those younger two- and three-year-olds last year that looked like they had potential, I wanted to see, you know, what they were going to turn into. So, you know, obviously right now we're still kind of in that inventory stage, but we're just about ready to, you know, flip the switch and go into that transition period when, you know, bucks start breaking the bachelor groups of the velvet's going to be, you know, coming off any day. And then that's when, uh, I, I always say things start to get really crazy in the whitetail world. So, um, but yeah, so, you know, like I said, the overall, the summer is more about inventory, but then going into early season, um, you know, in this type of situation, I can't even ever say that I've ever had a situation where I patterned a buck early season, like bed to food. It's, it's extremely, it's extremely difficult to do something like that, you know, in the big woods, um, early season though, I really think, uh, you know, your best bet up here is to try to get close to bedding, but that's easier said than done too. Cause it's all mountains. And I, you know, I've talked about it before, but the, problem in mountains is finding consistent wind so you know you want to you want to get as close to that bed as you can but then you get too close you know then he's going to smell you during those wind shifts so the early season's really a challenge up here but i still think you got to get you got to know where a buck is bedded and you got to find what i call like the safe zone like maybe i wouldn't call that his actual bedding area but kind of like right on the fringe where you're going to catch him more than likely I've had more luck in the, in the afternoon or evenings around bedding the morning. But, uh, I think that's just gotta be the focus. It, I don't, I don't really focus on, you know, trying to catch a buck on a feeding pattern at all, you know, in, in, up here in the early season. Right. Yeah. I mean, cause the, the, the big challenge is like, at least in my humble opinion, the, the, the limited opportunity I've had to hunt big woods Mm-hmm. Is just like that pattern ability, you know, <clears throat> unless you happen to be in an area that has some type of significant structure created by cuts or something like that to where you can start to dictate a little bit of movement, like the, even their movement, in my opinion, yep. is, is super. I mean, um, they have a rhyme and a reason why they're doing it, but it just seems very shotgun to a human eye. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's which makes yep. it which makes it really hard. So I'm curious, you know, when you're talking about these bedding areas. Right. And finding mm-hmm. where these are at. And we'll dive into that a little bit more specifically here in a second. But, you know, mm-hmm. early part of the year, are you focusing on trying to find those known bedding areas that might have 
like a handful of oaks in or something like that that might have like you know the the, the food of that time of year that that's going to be prevalent to know that all right they're going to be concentrated more so in this bedding area because i know that there's some white oaks that are going to be dropping are, are you playing that game at all yep no I, I i actually am um and it's something though that you can't you know kind of like you said i can't bank on that scenario every year because you can't count on mass to produce every year but I've already got a couple spots picked out. Like we're almost the bedding and the feeding is kind of in the same area. You know, like you you could find just a real thick, brushy uh, oak point that, um, if you think about it, early seasons, you know, a time when a mature buck is probably moving as little as any other time of the year. So if he can pretty much lay there all day, get up a little bit, uh, maybe he goes a hundred yards and feeds and lays back down but if you can if you can find that scenario i think it's it's you know could be a really great tactic but in the big woods too it's like it's it's not like uh you know you have your own property and you can kind of create the bedding create the food and plant it where you want to be it's the big woods it's just like it's so uh it's so unpredictable because whatever's there is there and you can't control the food you can't control the bedding um, so that kind of makes it the challenge to find like the perfect scenario, mm-hmm. but you know, the good thing is, 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 you know, if you do your scouting and, you know, you do your homework, you know, the bedding areas are what's most consistent here. Like, uh, uh, most of the, the, you know, the buck bedding areas that I know of have been buck bedding areas for like at least five years. Hmm. Um, even, you know, it might be like a 10 year old cut that they're bedding in, but they'll, that cut will be good up till it's 20 years old. And it doesn't, even if it starts to open up a little bit, it doesn't have to be extremely thick. I tell people, in fact, I, I find more deer bedding in the 15 to 20 year old stuff than I do the five to 10 year old stuff. Wow. So, um, you know, like you just, you really gotta, you, you gotta put your time in for the early season is, and, and, you know, we're not talking about postseason yet, but the postseason is the best time to find those bedding areas. Unfortunately, if you're going to go out there in September and October and start bumping those deer and then figuring it out, you know, you're really, you're really probably causing more harm than good for yourself. So you got to, you got to definitely key in on bedding in the big woods, in my opinion, if, if you want to have, you know, early season success. Right. So, you know, again, from the limited, you know, experience that I've had in the big woods, you know, bedding is, like I was saying earlier, is can be somewhat challenging to find just because their yep. move, their movement is, um, yep. is, you know, unpredictable, I guess, if you will, cause there's, cause there is a lack of structure. And so f- figuring out when they're moving in a certain direction, where they're going to end up is, is, is sometimes hard. So are there any classic areas that you kind of, you know, I'm trying to think how to say this, that you historically, or that you consistently will find bedding areas. Like, so like for an example, right. It's like, if I'm headed to a new public piece, it's like, and I have some terrain, which, you know, I would in your, in your neck of the woods, you know, yep. I would probably first go to like those military crests, leeward side, upper one third, you know what I mean? And kind of run that kind of elevation mm-hmm. around these ridges to try to figure out like, is there, you know, a thermal effect that's happening in this particular area that's creating a, a bedding opportunity you know, are you mm-hmm. seeing any of those types of trends uh, where you're hunting? Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, all of what you said, I see. Um, it's not always, like, you know, consistent as far as I know a buck's going to bed, you know, on this side of the hill because the wind's doing this and the thermals are doing this. Um, sometimes I see things like that, but the most consistent things are uh, the bucks, especially mature bucks, and even does too. But, but really, if you want to key in on buck bedding, 90% of the buck beds are like right next to an elevation drop. Um, it's, it's not like, uh, and it doesn't even have to be like the steepest drop, but they're, they bed right on the edge of those drops. Um, they're almost always in cover or right outside of cover. Um, you know, ridge scenarios, you know, it's not like, uh, as soon as you start getting like, if you get like on the big flat of a mountain, like bedding disappears. Mm-hmm. So, it's, it's, it's mainly, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of easy. I want to say to, to locate bedding because like I said, if, if you get, you know, you get on the topos ahead of time, you find those upper elevation drops, then you can even get in on the satellites sometimes and find the cover, like almost every thick ridge, um, 
that up high where there's you know good elevation breaks will have some buck bedding on it. Now it may not always have a, a buck that you want to shoot, but uh, as soon as you get away from those areas or those scenarios, the bedding just pretty much disappears. So right. it, it's not that hard to find, in my opinion. Right. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Now, you said something earlier, like, so say you find one of these, you know, brushy ridges or, you know, whatever the case is, and you, and you know, there's a bedding area, you know, how yep. are you, how are you setting up to hunt that? Like, are you hunting it pretty aggressive? Are you getting right in on the bed? Are you, are you setting mm-hmm. back a little bit? Cause I know, you know, you know, in that mountain terrain, man, like the wind will, yep. <laughs> the wind will play yeah. some serious tricks on you, you know what I mean? And it's, and it's hurt me more times than it's helped me in the past. So I'm just curious about how aggressive yep. you are and how, how close you'll try or how tight you'll try to get to that bed. Yep. Almost any early season setup, like it's probably on average 200 yards from a bed mm-hmm. or bedding area. Um, and, uh, if it's not too early, you know, I'll get into kind of, you know, how I appro- approach those areas. It's not more like, uh, I'm one of those guys that's like a hang and hunt kind of guy. Like, uh, all my, almost all my hunting, uh, decisions are based on my, what I'm seeing on my cameras. And, uh, so, I'll cluster cameras around those bedding areas, and then that's what I I try to find. I try to find routes in and out of the bedding where it seems you know a little more consistent. Like I might have eight cameras around a bedding area, and I've gotten in a month maybe a particular buck on all eight cameras. But those two or three, say like on the west side, that I've seen them fifty, sixty, seventy percent more. Like that's kind of what I'm, you know, focusing on. And then I'll, I'll always have, like, on one of those routes, um, if there's not a scrape there already, I always make a mock scrape because there's, it's like I'm not saying a scrape is going to be the way to kill any buck, but you'd just be surprised, like, especially you get a little bit further into October and bucks really, you know, start keying in on, you know, working scrapes. Like, a lot of, a lot of bucks that I've killed in October – have um, or majority of them have come to that scrape just because it's the closest scrape from their bed, really. And a scrape in mid to late October is probably more on a buck's mind than even food or possibly even does. So uh, I, I truly think you know that little uh, type of tactic, you know, the getting getting in the right the right distance from bedding, not too close, not too far. Um, getting a buck condition to knowing, you know, that scrapes there and the right day when all goes right, it can be a killer setup. Nice. And are you hunting that scrape then? Like, are you setting up? Oh yeah. Okay. That's yep. So you're setting yeah. up with an opportunity to shoot to that scrape. Absolutely. Yep. And I've killed, I don't know, I've probably killed seven or eight bucks in that same exact scenario, like that scrape just outside of bedding. Right. And is that scrape, or when you're making that, are you kind of you know, making sure it's up against some type of security cover, side cover type of thing to where, you know, they're going to feel it's not out in the open, I guess is what I'm saying. Oh yeah. Or if it is, it's right on, it's like no more than 20 yards from, from the thick stuff. Got it. Problem is like, you know, on public land, you can't do a lot of trimming. So if I want to get in the cover and get good shooting opportunities, you have to do more cutting than what you're really allowed. So most of the time I'm back out on the edge, just outside the edge. And you'd be surprised, like a lot of people don't talk about this and you'll find in bedding areas, you'll find trails coming in and out of them. And, uh, that's, that's what I'm, what I'm looking for. Different trails coming in and out of the bedding area. And then I'll put the, I'll put the mock scrape. If there's not already a scrape right on, right on top of the trail and, you know, I'll get right on most of the time, right on the edge of bedding and, uh, sometimes I might have three or four mock scrapes too. Maybe not every one of those cameras will be a mock scrape, but I'll kind of mix it up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, uh, like I said, if I, if I didn't kill the buck actually working the scrape, you could tell that he was coming right to it. It's just, uh, honestly, it's probably the, my, my go-to tactic for 
you know, for killing deer in this area. Nice. Yeah. I've started just recently, you know, probably in the past like two years, more specifically, probably this year, you know, using yep. more and more mock scrapes, you know, I'll, I'll first kind of go in and try to hang a camera and just get good deer inventory movement on a camera. And then once I know that I have movement and deer are using a particular area, then I'll, then I'll kind of juice it with a mock scrape. And that way I know, you know, it's, it's a place I'm not trying to pull deer away from where they're naturally at. I'm trying to just enhance the things that they're already doing, I guess is exactly. is, is how I'm looking at it. So that, yep. that's, that's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're having some success because hopefully it'll, it'll translate for me <laughs> this year. Sure. As, as yeah, well. it can, And it doesn't even have to be big woods. I really right. think that, uh, you know, certain times of the year, those kind of things work really good. And one other thing I'll mention too, is, um, a lot of times I find, if, especially if it's like what I believe is the dominant buck of the area, mm-hmm. like I won't find a lot of other bucks going in near around his beds unless he's been out for a few days. But right on the edge of that cover is where other deer will come through. Like it's almost like a, a, like deer attempted to just check out to see if, if that buck's been around or so it's like, it's like a spot where, uh, that buck also wants to come out because he knows he hasn't been bothered a lot inside closer to his bed. So when he, he'll come out and he'll even want to see, okay, well, are there, what does are in the area? What other bucks has he got competition? So finding that, that actual, you know, that edge there can lead to not only maybe more opportunities, uh, with that particular buck, but it's a spot where other deer have become attracted to as well. Right. Right. Yeah. Just kind of sweetening the area just in, in general, yep. but yep, so you exactly. mentioned, you mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, shifting bedding, you know, how beds will shift right from, yep. from season to season. So if yep. you, you know, if you're finding a bedding area in October and this might be getting ahead of ourselves a little bit as we might look toward pre-rut and, and rut, but like, what would be, the, what is the reason that you see, you know, those beds shifting in, in, in the big woods. Cause you know, I'll see some of that or recognize some of that just from like wind shifting and they'll, and they'll shift really small. Like they'll still be in the same general bedding area, but they might shift like the yep. different side of the point that they're on. But are yeah. you seeing even larger shifts of bedding happen in your area? Oh yeah, definitely. And I don't want to make it sound like, uh, you know, when you find a buck's bedding area, that's the only ridge he's bedding on in the big woods because he might have three ridges that he's bedding on in a mile stretch, which mm-hmm makes it really really challenging um so that's where you got to hope that uh uh you know maybe you'll intercept you know another good buck in that area or hopefully there is more than one buck in that area that you shoot and i don't know if it's always the wind but big woods deer just just in their genetics and in their blood like they're they're roaming animals like even outside of the rod you know i've i've seen sometimes i've seen a buck you know, a mile or two away in a different, what I believe is a different bedding area, even in the early season. So, I mean, that's why, you know, I, I, I do like the early season, but then again, like I, unfortunately, I think in the mountains, big wood scenarios, the early season may be, may be the hardest. It's probably your best chance to kill one particular buck, but to really nail a buck down, uh, a lot has to go into your favor to, to make it happen because uh, he might he might have three or three ridges that he's bedding on and you're not going to know which one which one to hunt on any given right. day. Right. So um, you know, and it's not always based on food why shifts. I just think it's more like they just have a tendency to want to move around a little more in the big woods. Right. I think the one thing that people overlook too, you know, is especially whenever they have a lot of options, right? If you're hunting small parcels yep. and there's just a lot of small fragmented parcels around you, it's like there's probably one primary bedding area that has yeah, the, exactly. the best of the best, right? And that's where he's going to want to stay unless he gets moved out of it or if there's something significant that changes. But when you're dealing with bigger parcels, man, it, it can be something as simple as, as the species of tree that's in his primary bedding area drops leaves before another area, you know what I exactly. mean? To where it's like now all of a sudden he feels a little bit more open and this secondary bedding point for example, leaves there is a different species of tree. And so they hold, they hold for an extra three weeks or something like that to where now that becomes his cover. Right. Do you see some things like that as well? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I'll see like, I don't see a lot of bedding shift to leaf change until like later October or right, you know, right around 
the rut, but things like that do happen. Um, plus, you know, you, you've got so many other things in public land, like you know, all of a sudden it might get more hunting pressure. That'll cause them to shift. Uh, the, you might have, you know, forestry work or oil activity. Um, but, but the good thing is, is, you know, it may, cause this might not apply to, you know, ag land or something like that is there's, there's so much good bedding habitat out there that he's probably not going to go five, 10 miles away. Rather, right. maybe if there was a big section of farmland somewhere and there was just a little, 10 acre woodlot then five miles of field surrounding it that buck he's going to go five miles to a new section of wood so right. here you know you can probably you can probably still stay in his area pretty easily but like i said the problem is is uh is always knowing where he's betting like that's that's the biggest challenge because there's just he's got so many options here right and speaking yep. of kind of knowing where he's where he's betting, I mean, I know you cast you know a pretty wide net when it comes to to using cameras. You run a lot of cameras. You know yep. how how much are you relying on cameras? Either as you know, do you use them at times for you know MRI or most recent intelligence, or are you more so playing the long term game with your cameras, where you're looking more at you know annual data to to plan mm-hmm. specifically for early season? It's probably it's probably a little bit more based on you know what I saw last year rather than uh, so many times and I I don't want to you know make I don't want to tell someone that all of a sudden you know you check your camera and in the, the week prior I mean you just had tremendous intel not to hunt there but I see so much changing and shifting in the big woods that I I'm more focused on watching that area for a year or two and giving it weeks upon weeks of, of observance to really see what happened rather than like one, you know, magical week doesn't mean that the next week in that, that location is going to be just as good. Um, a lot of times in the big woods, you'll have spots, they go on and off, on and off, like mm-hmm. a few days, you'll have a little three day stretch. Maybe, maybe one particular buck was bedding in that area for three days and then, he shifted over to that other ridge for three or four days. So you really, you know, you can also hurt yourself sometimes by, you know, basing, you know, last week's intel. But then again, you also can't not hunt there either. But you just can't, you can't really rely too confidently that that's what's going to happen, you know, um, what you see today and what happened last week might not be tomorrow's activity. Right. So, you know, I'm curious to ask you this question because I've, I've, uh, I have an experience, I guess. I just want to see if my experience is matching up with what your, with what your thoughts are. So how much are you scouting versus hunting during the early, early part of the year? I'm actually scouting way more than hunting. Unfortunately, I know that the early season is, is a really good time once again to focus on a particular buck, but I, I'm more of one of those guys that like, I'd rather scout 80% and hunt 20%. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather hunt the days that I feel are going to be the best days, you know, such as like a cold front or, you know, weather related conditions to get deer moving more. Right. Um, cause especially guiding, like, even though I don't take on any clients until close to the rut, like I have a ton of work to do as far as, um, you know, I said this year, um, we're probably going to run a hundred cameras. So I got to move all those cameras and it's not like it takes one day to move a hundred cameras. You're talking <laughs> right. three or four weeks right. at least. So I got to get all those cameras moved. I got to get all, you know, roughly maybe 50 stands moved, try to find time to hunt. So unfortunately the early season, uh, isn't, isn't a time when, you know, I'm out there hunting every day. But when a big front or something passes through, then it's like, that's my day off. That's right. going to, that's just too good to not hunt, you know, that time of year. So, um, right. And then yeah, you have so, all the Intel from the scouting that you've done as well. Cause you spent so exactly, much time yeah. boots on the ground. Yep. No. And even though, you know, it seems like I got a ton of bucks located, you know, over the summer, which I do, but you know, 90% of those bucks are going to shift and be doing something completely different than what they did in the summer. So, I'm also trying to figure out those things. Uh, you know, I got to still find you know, where the food sources are and let's not forget does either that mm-hmm. I got to 
I got to figure out what the does are doing before the rut starts as well. So there's just so much scouting that you have to do in preparation, you know, early season that, you know, unfortunately, or maybe it's not unfortunate, but I just know some guys love the early season. I, I, I have to prepare more for, you know, the rut and when my clients come. Right. Right. So, you know, two, two more questions for this early season section. And, and, and this one I think is interesting because I think it'll help give people some context. So give me a successful hunt that you yep. had during the early part of the season that kind of comes to mind for you. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, my one of my favorite one, ones was, it wasn't the biggest deer. It was probably like a 110, 115 inch eight point, but I watched this buck all summer and, uh, I was 18 years old. I was just starting to get into trying to hunt, you know, more mature deer. It was probably only three or four year old buck. And, you know, to some people, you know, they would think, well, that's, you know, why is he talking about that? Well, a three or four year old buck in public land, big woods, especially, you know, 12 years or 13 years ago, or yeah. I think it was even long. Actually, I'm 34 now and talking about when I'm 18. So it's more like 16, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's amazing how time flies. Exactly. But anyways, why I really like that hunt especially is, um, so I knew the buck was going to shift and, uh, I, uh, I, I was new to the area um, but I, what I ended up doing was I, I found, you know, three or four different spots where I hung stands and, uh, to try to even pinpoint where he was going to shift more towards bedding than anything. And, uh, so I got in, you know, I got in that stand and hunted it like once nothing happened. Um, it was back then I didn't run a whole lot of cameras. There really wasn't even many cameras back then as it is, mm-hmm. but, uh, I just, I kept seeing sign around my stand. I was on the edge of this bedding area and I, I just was confident that it was him, but I'd hunted it morning. I hunted it evening and nothing worked. Well, I did the complete opposite of probably what anyone would do. I said, you know what, today I'm going to hunt from 10 to two. So I got in my stand at 10 o'clock and that buck came out of that bedding area at 11 in the middle of the day. This was like the second or third day of archery season. and the, the, what I think I learned about that, which makes it really unique, is that 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 cut there that I was hunting, there was also a cut on the backside of me about 30 yards. And what I what I believe happened was that buck got up, fed a little bit, and he was going to move into the other cut to lay down the rest of the day. And, you know, you, you, you hear so much about early season, like you hunt the first couple hours of the morning, you know, last couple hours of the evening when... I did the complete opposite in a, in a big wood situation. And I think that was probably going to be one of the only ways to kill that buck, because what I believe was going on is he was getting in that bedding area probably well before daylight. And I, I think he was laying there till about, you know, 10, 11 noon. And then he, that would be his time to get up for a little bit. And then he'd move to another bed, which was that other cut behind me. Hmm. So I just, it's not the biggest or best deer I've ever killed, but I like that that one of that or that hunt one of the most because I just feel I did something like way out of the ordinary, and that was probably the best move you could make on a, that particular situation. Right. Yeah. Sometimes you got to kind of get outside the box a little bit. You know what I mean? It's, yep. Um, yep. Uh, especially for you know early season, I feel like because if you know especially if you don't have something that's working a definitive bed to food pattern. Um, you know, it's so hard yep. to beat them back to bed in the morning, you know, during yep. early season, unless you get, you know, the right kind of moon, if that's something you know, that people follow or whatever, maybe you have a better opportunity or whatever the case is, but you know, those morning hunts, unless you really know where he's at, it's, it's, it's hard. <laughs> oh yeah. And I, and I just want to bring up that, you know, in, in, especially in a big wood situation, Obviously these deer, these deer aren't just laying in their bed all day, just sleeping or not moving. I think they get up more often than what people think. Mm -hmm. And, and I think you could catch a buck by total surprise by hunting him at like a midday hour. Maybe that buck was even on to me a little bit and was, you know, he might've sensed that I was hunting there in the evening and in the morning. And I, I just, I wouldn't count out middle of the day if you're close to bedding really anywhere as well. But I just think in the big woods, like the feed, the, sometimes the food is more scattered and sporadic and, you know, he, it's not like a pattern where a 
a buck knows he's going to that bean field every night because he can he can get his his full nine or ten pounds of food every day easily. You know, a big wood steer sometimes has got to work more to fill his belly. Right. So I think you can you can have a little more midday activity because. He just can't lay there that long on an empty stomach. Right. Do you pay attention to the moon at all? Like, is that something you follow? Um, I've been following it more and more, um, you know, and I'd like to even get into, you know, take it more seriously. I, I'm not going to say that I will bank on it. Like, I'm one of them people, I I don't really follow what other people do. Like, I got to try it out for myself before right. I take it seriously. And I've, I've paid attention to it to to a certain point where I think that uh, I think it makes somewhat of a difference, mm-hmm. but I haven't seen where like you can totally rely on the moon. Um, but I think what I want to do this year, and I'm not so much going to hunt around it, but I want to kind of keep like, you know, with, with the hundred cameras that are going to be out there, I want to keep like moon data, especially for myself. And then maybe do that for a few years, then look back. And according to my data, really try to see, you know, how much of an effect it does play. But from my experience so far, I don't think like I see more influence with weather than I do moon. Right. Yeah. It was a couple of years ago. I first started paying attention to it and there was one season that I kind of, I won't Mm -hmm. say religiously hunted with it, but really paid attention to like the red moon or the overhead and underfoot moon and and stuff like that. And I saw it work out to a T once where it's like, it literally like, yeah. And, but that was the only time. And then, so I kind of gave up on it. It wasn't until recently I've been talking to our, our buddy Chad more and more about, about moon and more so paying attention to just like the, you know, three days prior to a full moon. And then the three days after a full moon, you know what I mean? And kind of like playing that on like, you know, the three days prior the morning, three days after, you know, you want to prioritize evenings just because you might get them up out of bed a little bit early, or you might get them coming later to bed, you know, a little, a little bit or whatever, based on how much light there, light there was during either the morning or the, or the evening time. Um, so that's one thing I'm going to probably pay a little bit more attention to this year. Kind of like you, it's like, I need to see it work before I'm going to, exactly you know, adopt it full, you know, full on. But, uh, I'll be curious this year to, to see, cause there are a couple of really good moon days, that I would like oh, to, yeah. and, and I think too, it's like part of the reason why I may not have seen it play out as well is whenever I was using it, that was really prior to me focusing on hunting more around beds. And I'm yep. now curious to see, it's like now that I'm getting closer to bed, because it's like, you know, yeah, you may not see that deer if you're only going to get an extra half hour of movement, but if you're a hundred yep. yards off of his bed and he gets up a half hour early, well, oh, yeah. that's a big difference. You know what I oh, mean? Def- that's, that's getting an arrow yep. in him and, or not, you know? So. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I'm not, I'm totally not against it because I know it has somewhat of an influence, but then when I know for sure that, you know, okay, even I do have obviously some limited hunting time, even early season. So when I know for sure that uh, a cold front is going to get the majority of these mature bucks on their feet, I'm definitely going to spend those days, you know, waiting on a cold front rather than a moon when I'm just not quite sure I can bank on that, right. but totally, totally not against it. And, uh, I would encourage anyone to consider trying it. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. If, yeah. If it works for you, keep doing it. That's my philosophy. Exactly. <laughs> so yep. with that, with that man, you know, if we could just boil it down to Steve Shirk's three most important tips for hunting early season, what would your three tips for the folks out there listening be? Sure. Okay. I would say number one is, yeah, I, I notice it around here, and I'm sure it's the same case everywhere. Is I feel like people, they go into hunting season, and it's like it's almost like I got to get it done opening day. And even though I've, you know, you might be asking me for a tip for early season, well, I think one of the biggest tips would be remember you have the whole season. There's a lot of guys that, you know, and women too, they go out and they're so anxious. They've scouted all summer, some all year, and uh, they're they go out the first week and they burn themselves out. So I think the number one key is don't burn yourself out. Remember, uh, you know, remember that it's early season and that's why they, in, especially in Pennsylvania, a lot of other States, you got like this year, almost two months pretty much of bow hunting. So, uh, don't burn yourself out early. Um, I would, I would also suggest if you have, uh, you know, if you have the time, to in the flexibility, especially around your work. Uh, number two would be 
hunt when the conditions are at their best. Not like, uh, I'm just gonna, you know, hunt whenever, whenever it feels right. No hunt when the, when the weather's right. If, if you can bank on the wind, hunt when the wind's right, hunt when, uh, you know, all of a sudden you, you get some good Intel on your camera. So try to try to plan your hunts, uh, early season when opportunities are at their best, because I think early season is, is most challenging because that's when you have minimal daylight, mature buck activity versus in the rut, you know, bucks are moving all day, every day, a lot of times. Right. So that'd be number two. And then, you know, like I said earlier, number three would be, and, and you know, if you're a listener from the, from a big woods or mountain type area, especially here in PA, I would totally focus more around bedding than food just for the fact that, you know, from my experience, more running cameras than anything. You know, I run even a lot of cameras around food sources, even though I know that, you know, I'm probably not going to kill one there, but the cameras over time prove that like uh, killing a buck over food in the early season, at least where I'm from is very, very less odds rather than killing one, you know, uh, around bedding. I I've even found some bucks have, have bedded up to a mile from where they feed every night. So, uh, uh, focus or focus along the bedding um, as best as you can. Uh, hunt when the conditions are right, early season, and then just don't burn yourself out too early. I think those would be my three tips. Awesome, man. Well, that is. I think we covered everything for early season. Is there anything that we missed that you wanted to add, or we feel like we covered that pretty good? No, I I, re- I really do. Uh, cool. Other than uh, you know, I'm just dying to get out there. I can't <laughs> believe how fast the season's approaching, I but. Know. Uh, Know, I'm, right? I'm excited for Pennsylvania this year. Well, before we wrap this this uh, this session up, uh, if you wouldn't mind, Steve, let folks out there know where they can find out more more about you and follow you. Sure. Most people find me on social media, either on Facebook or Instagram. It's Shirk's Guide Service, S-H-E-R-K apostrophe S, Guide Service, or uh, you can t- contact me at my website. It's shirksguideservice.com. All right. Awesome. Thanks for joining, man. All right. Thanks a lot, bud. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And hell, while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tether, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, and Maven Optics. And until next time, We'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app.